All right, what it is, what it is. This is ITS, better known as In The Scope Podcast. Giving it to you once again. Kyle Means here, editorial director of We Are Regal Radio, War Media. And uh, once again, we're here with the man who makes it all happen for In The Scope the writer of the column each week, each Friday, get Mr. Josh Hicks, Joshua A. Hicks, give the writing title as, as we should, proper. Josh, how you doing, man? It's the M, it's, it's not A. Hicks, it's M. Hicks. Oh, damn, my fault. <laughs> I might have to edit that out, but. Man, that's Joshua M. Hicks. I think you should work. What, what does the M stand for, actually? Michael. Michael, okay. That's that's a decent name. Joshua Michael yeah. Hicks. Maybe you should work with A2, you know? See, give a, you know, give a little what uh, variance, you know, a little, a little alter egos. Yeah, I can do that for a Stephen A type of thing. Right. I can see, do that. See, Stephen, yeah, Stephen A has gone a long way with the A. You know? Right. So That's when, true. When you get loud and, and unruly, you could be Joshua A. Hicks. <laughs> right. <laughs> Definitely could. You, could be, you know, we talk about somebody being all crack. <laughs> you know. I'm smoking the weed. Right. When you loud and overbearing, you could be Joshua A. Hicks. I, I think that'll work for me. I mess with it. I mess with it. And see if you stumbled on to something. It's alright if you mess up sometimes, kids. You know, sometimes you may stumble into something great. But anyway, I'm with Joshua M. Hicks, who I commonly refer to as Josh. And this is, like I said, in the scope, man. We're back at it. Uh, it's been it's been a little bit since we've actually uh, done how long has it been since we've done with you? About a couple weeks, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been it's been two weeks. But two weeks, yeah, we yeah we, but we still hit you with some good stuff in the meantime. You know, we had the uh, the draft cup, the draft lottery coverage and stuff. We did the, the special little thing there from from uh, public house, and you know we've had some fun. We've we've done some good done some good stuff as usual, and we'll keep on doing some good stuff. But uh. You know, this week though we're back on the on the schedule, back on the scene with ITS, and Josh is gonna have, of course, uh, one of his patented columns this Friday, and we're gonna, you know, as usual, sort of stick to the to the basketball side of things, and uh, you know the Bulls, you know, there there are more compelling things, of course, to talk about in basketball, and Josh has written on those compelling things as well with the Warriors. We'll talk a bit about that uh, in, in a little bit. But uh, the column this week, we, we sort of, you know, as as newsmen, as we like to figure ourselves to be, we got to keep up with what's sort of get going around as news, especially here in our city. And uh, I think the one, the most compelling thing in circling around basketball circles this week in Chicago is the possibility that uh, one Alonzo Ball could be a Chicago Bull by by draft night or sometime soon after. Uh, you know, the Bulls are in need of a point guard, a starting point guard, 
to add to their young nucleus of talent. And, you know, Lonzo is a guy who's, you know, his standing on the Lakers is not, you know, not on, uh, he's not on solid ground as, as to, to say uh, out there. And, you know, he's been, he's been in the room, he's been in the rumor mill for a lot of teams. And the Bulls are seen to be the lead team right now that he's rumored to be on the move to. And, you know, Josh is going to take that on in the column this week. Uh, Josh, give us a little taste of where your thoughts are on that subject and uh, the possibility of Lions being a Chicago Bull. It's not as far-fetched as we think. Uh, he, From an offensive style standpoint, he actually fits what the Bulls could use pass first, defensive-minded point guard. The last time Chicago had a point guard like, like that, his name was Rajon Rondo. And he was a big, impactful guy because he can do all things on the court for someone his size, especially from the point guard position. And he played a big role, especially in the first round of the NBA playoffs when we won the first couple games against the Boston Celtics uh, before, his, before he got injured and got, uh, couldn't play for the rest of the series. He was basically leading the charge in all in all facets of the game and really controlled the tempo of what the Bulls' offense would be and set the tone defensively when it came to guarding that um, that that big that big three lineup still with uh, the Celtics. But once obviously once he got hurt, the Bulls derailed and lost the series. So um, just to have someone that, that type of guy, especially as young as he is, to be, to be with this rebuild. Uh, that's not. It's technically a good win for the Bulls. You can have him. You have him on the long term. You can sign him to an extension for a cheaper deal than you probably would with anybody else. And on top of that, he's young. Like I said, he's young. So he fits growing with Zach Levine and the uh, Otto Porter and that young backcourt that and the young core for the most part that they do have. But there's a couple aspects to it. Number one, health. He hasn't played more than 52 games in his two in his two years in the league, and last year he only played 47. So he barely made it through half of the season. And number the second point, shooting the ball. The Bulls need a guard that can shoot the ball when needed. He needs to be able to knock down open shots. From the bounce of ball stats last season, before he really got hurt and couldn't play the rest of the season, although he showed signs of improvement. He was only shooting 40% from the field goal and 32% from three, which is something that the Bulls need strong uh, assets in. So he doesn't fit, technically fit that shooting or scoring the ball role, role, uh, role that role when it comes to Zach Levine uh, pass, dishing and passing the ball um, on an offensive end. And number three, he kind of brings a lot of baggage with him. And it's not necessarily a bad thing per se, but it's a lot of. It's a, but it can be a. It can be depending on if it's him talking or if it's Lavar Ball. You know, Lavar Ball is a big, is a big guy with a big personality, and for him to be in a big market like he was in LA, he made a lot of noise. And even though some of it can be nonsense at times, I think it really had an, an effect on Lonzo Ball in some capacity. And. It, maybe it's a maybe it's a good thing that he may not be as involved now. But Lonzo Ball has shown the maturity and the growth to depart from his dad and from the big baller brand in general. But at the same time, Levar's gonna ha- he's always gonna say something, and he's always gonna criticize the Bulls uh, front office. He's gonna criticize the 
most coaching. He's not going to criticize most players. And you never know. He may even say, uh, since you got Lonzo here, you might as well bring his two other boys in. Otherwise, you're really going to suck. And that's going to be the trending topic of Chicago compared to the fact that, um, you know, that the Bulls may be increasing or decreasing from last year's performances. So, technically, if you really think about it, it might be a good thing. It may be, it may be a different topic to talk about uh, instead of talking about how bad the Bulls suck. We, you know, I could talk about how LeBron Bulls taking over the national media. Who knows? But, overall, it can be a good move for the Bulls, but they need to have the right in it, but the, obviously, Alonzo uh, Ball has to develop and improve in all facets of the game offensively. And the only way you do that is him putting the work in the gym and putting the right coaching staff around him to help him develop, which the Bulls have had question marks over the last few years when it comes to player development. Yeah, definitely. We've, and that's something we've certainly talked about uh, on this air and. Um, we talked like we talked about Lonzo too. Uh, check out our past shows here on War on Anchor. We had uh, we devoted a past uh, in the scope to uh, Lonzo and the and the drama regarding the Ball family and uh, you know their whole those seemingly breakup of the big uh, the triple B uh, business model and. You know everything. You no know, guys getting money taken from them and stuff by Adam Foster. A whole bad situation there. But uh, in the end, it looks like it hasn't ruined the, the family dynamic completely, which is something that both me and Josh have uh, advocated. There was no need for uh, a son and a father to lose touch with each other because of what happened. And like you said, because of that. You know, LeVar could play a big role uh, in, in you know, uh, in media circles and in, in media hype and pressure on the Bulls if, if his son was playing in Chicago. And I don't know if the Bulls front office and their management is really up for the task. You, you look at, you know, not too long ago, how they dealt with the Rose family uh, and Reggie Rose in particular. And, it was really just a, a harsh thing that that uh, that played out there, and it, it led to Derek, you know, a beloved Chicagoan and the beloved Bull, getting traded away because of, you know, and like I said, a large part because of the, the mismanagement of the team and the way that they couldn't relate entirely to his his support system. So I, I would foresee another such thing happening if. If Lonzo Ball was on this team, and you you make two other cogent points, uh, Josh, when it comes to on the court stuff strictly, and you know Lonzo being a gifted player, a lot of things he brings a lot of good things to the table, but he doesn't necessarily bring the things that the Bulls need, which you know, like you said, one is stability in playing time, and uh, you know a decent jump shot. You know what? It would be nice if the Bulls get a player who can do the things defensively that he can do, and who can distribute the ball. Certainly, you know that makes a, another player like a Patrick Beverly, particularly uh, who's going to be a free agent this summer as well, particularly uh, attractive to the Bulls. But you know he, you know Beverly has played more than Ball, and uh, he 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 doesn't get hurt like you said. He you know he doesn't. He's not a, a lights-out shooter either, but he's you know he's better than Ball, and most of the league is better than Ball. 
and shooting. And uh, you know, if, if if he doesn't improve his shot, he's not going to make himself as attractive of a of a, a figure as a starting point guard as he could be in the league. So it's like there's like you said, there's a lot of pluses and minuses that are involved with this guy. Uh, and, and among the pluses are the fact that he is young and that he's affordable right now, and that he, you know, he he's not close to his peak if he's if he's going to reach it. Though no, that's the question too: is he going to reach a peak uh, of play that is going to make him uh, attractive to the Bulls and make him part of a possible true rebuilding of the franchise? And uh, a rebuilding that could lead to them really competing in in the in the NBA again, or at least in the Eastern Conference. You know, we don't know. We got to see about that. But uh, but those are the rumors that's going around right now. And I I think you know if you are the Bulls, you may want to put yourself in play for something, given that you you know are at, are in the seventh slot of the draft again. It's an attractive spot in some ways, but it's not attractive in many other ways, given that many people say that this is really just a three-player draft. And, you know, if, if you could flip this seventh pick into a, a point guard in particular and a starting point guard at that, you may want to trigger, you may want to pull that trigger. And if it happens to be Lonzo Ball, you know, it'll, it'll at least make the Bulls more interesting than they are, you know, if not more competitive. So I'm 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 kind of leaning more to the side of of advocating the trade. I'm not there yet, but you know I'm 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 more on the side of doing something with the pick if it gets the Bulls a known entity in in uh, you know in response to it in in the, in the trade for it. So that's what I got to say on that. Any more thoughts on that, Josh? No, you basically hit it on the head. I, if I was, I know we, uh, my previous column, I mentioned uh, different options that the Bulls could do with the seventh pick. Yeah. And if it did include trading, you know, I would get someone, I would use Lonzo Ball as a last resort. I would get someone that can, that's a starting point guard that can truly provide what the Bulls really need, which is someone that can shoot the ball and also distribute it and show a, a strong presence from along the perimeter. And there's only and there's a couple of guys that might be on the market that can fit that. One of them is is Memphis point guard Mike Conley. Um, with yeah. the Memphis Grizzlies getting the second pick in the draft, it's pretty much guaranteed that they're going to draft John Moran, which is the point guard that we for for all season long hoped that the Bulls could really get. So with the Memphis getting them, there's no need for Mike Conley services in in this, in this town anymore. So you might as well give up that seventh pick to bring in a veteran point guard that can fill that starting role and accelerate that rebuilding process a lot quicker than someone like Alonzo Ball would. Another ideal candidate for possibly, depending on if he's going to be on the market or not, is D'Angelo Russell. Um, he's, uh, he's pretty much eligible for an extension coming up, but with rumors that Kyrie Irving may be coming to the Brooklyn Nets, or at least considering it, and the fact that his camp really wants him to consider coming to the Brooklyn Nets, if he pulls that trigger, the, main, the, the Nets may not want to trade him at first, um, but you never know what could be on the table. The Bulls, they can use some, use that seventh pick to bring in a nice, uh, solid big man to help, help them out in the draft with, their, with the way their position is. So that could be an ideal situation as well. And if you have to go with the Lonzo Ball trade, 
the Lakers may actually want to pursue that just because of the fact that with that seventh pick, they can utilize that to get themselves a nice wing player, um, especially that, you know, that maybe they could use on Anthony Davis' trade. Um, a, a couple wing players that are pretty, you know, durable and eligible out there that most people are really getting buzz on is Jerry Colbert, DeAndre Hunter, um, and maybe even in a sleeper in the uh, draft combine process, which I've been a huge advocate for, as you know, Kyle, is Cam Reddish. Um, yeah, yeah. Someone that can play, that can, you know, these are guys that can play de- well defensively along the perimeter, Knowledge. but also have now. the ability to score the ball, and more specifically now. for Cam Reddish, someone that can actually shoot the ball efficiently like and has a nice stroke that can translate like into the, the NBA game. And that's something that the Lakers desperately need with, Le- with LeBron, with, you know, with LeBron being that point forward. So. It's definitely a, there's a couple options that people really can consider, and if on the ball is one of those options as a last resort, on the Lakers, I wouldn't mind pulling the trigger if it means I can get someone like a Cam Reddish to come in that you can either use for yourself or you can possibly use as bait to trade to New Orleans to pair up with Zion Williamson and try to get you know that Anthony Davis trade uh, to finally fall through. So there's a lot of options that the Bulls should really consider, but like you. I'm not a full fan of the Lonzo Ball trade, but if it's all, the, if it's the best that we can do, I'd rather deal with that instead of trying to get Chris Dunn another year to develop with no guarantee that he will actually develop, considering he's had at least a couple of years to pull this group. Yeah, yeah, I think it'll be a disappointment. I think for Bulls fans in general, if if Dunn is starting uh, next season at point guard, like. You know he shouldn't he shouldn't be in that position and um, he hasn't you know he hasn't earned it you know he, he could have been he, he could have been a lot worse as a bull he's, he's shown some good things but he, he's not the guy going forward as a starting point guard so uh, I, yeah like like uh, like we like I like you said you know you got to see some activity from the bulls in regards to that position and I'm glad you, you mentioned how potentially viable it could be for the Lakers to do business with the Bulls given the pick that the Bulls claim. I, I was sort of on the verge of saying that when I was speaking earlier, but I could I didn't formulate it exactly. But that was that's that that definitely something that was running through my mind. Like the Bulls should be trying to take advantage of the fact that they have a lot of pick. And the Lakers may be a team that, you know, for all their dysfunction there's sort of a shared dysfunction that they have with the Bulls right now. You know, maybe these two teams can utilize their positions right now to make each other better in some way. So it'll be interesting to see. I, I, before we move on, I, I wonder, I wonder if you could give me a quick ranking, like off the top of the, of the options. Like, like let me throw them out. Uh, you know, Russell, Conley Jr. Um, uh, uh, ball, trading for ball, uh, keeping the pick, and then maybe uh, drafting someone there like a, a Cam Reddish or even maybe a Kobe White if the if the Bulls wanted to stick to point guard. Or uh, let's throw out another player like a Terry Rozier who's going to be a free agent. Uh, you know what? How would you rate those uh, options for the Bulls from from most appealing to least appealing? Most appealing for me would 
be either a Mike Conley Jr. or D'Angelo Russell trade. That ideally would be more appealing for me because you get someone that's young, established, and someone that can actually fill the point guard void that we've had for years. Okay, so you, put, um, you put Russell that one and Kyrie at two. Right, agreed. Right. Um, how, how would you rank the rest? I would rank someone like a Terry Rozier or Patrick Beverly yeah, Beverly. ahead of Alonzo Ball trade. Yeah, yeah that, that's what I would do. Um, Terry Rozier, Patrick Beverly are established guys in the league. Both shown a lot of good things that the Bulls really desperately need. And you, even though it may be, depending on the player, it may not be a long-term type of situation, but it's a situation that can accelerate the process and maybe show some type of promise, whether it's just for one season or a couple seasons, to get the Bulls in a better position to bring in guys that can be there on the more long-term situation. Yeah. So you put you put those guys three like a, another a veteran pickup in free agency ball, trading for ball four, and keeping a pick that would be the le- would be the least uh, appealing to you, right? Right. Yeah. I don't trust the I don't trust the Bulls to make the right choice at seven, even though the past couple of years they've been they've been correct and lucky at the same time. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, so I don't know if the Bulls will this year. Will make the right choice of moving forward, but taking at seven. That's pretty, yeah, that's reasonable to take to have because you know sometimes sometimes drafts can be looked at as as shallow and, and turn out not to be so shallow. I think you know this past year is sort of an example of that. You've had uh, you know I, you know I think people, some people may have seen said it was deep, so others may not. You get the sort of a mix of a bit. Of, uh, of opinions in that way, but you know, uh, you know what we've ended up with this with this last uh, draft from eighteen is you know a, a pretty deep class. You know the top five picks are all on the uh, the rookie team, the first rookie team. Uh, that's the first time this happens since the eighty four draft, and and you still got you know the second team is pretty nice too, and you still got players like. A Wendell Carter Jr. who looked promising, you know. You know, Wendell, of course, not making either of the rookie teams because, you know, largely because he was injured. But uh, you know, I think you could make a decent third rookie team if there was such a thing from uh, with this class, and not you know, not necessarily have a reach of reach there. But uh, you know, like we'll see how the nineteen class is. Maybe maybe there's more talent available at seven. Than, than is largely believed to be. But, like I said, if the Bulls can make a deal, or if the Bulls can find some, if the Bulls can make someone happy in free agency, at especially at the point guard position, you know, our the Bulls fandom we need to see that, you know, because like I said, we we can't swing and miss right now at that position because. If they swing and miss at point guard, they're just gonna have a very weak. Uh, it's gonna be a, a, a big hole in in the in the rebuilding process for the Bulls going into next season. But uh, 
let's let's leave the Bulls alone for now. We'll we'll talk some more about them, of course, leading up uh, to the draft. But uh, coming up next, we're gonna talk about the playoffs a bit. Uh, you know, Josh, of course, was watching the playoffs pretty hard as as, as everybody is. Uh, Warriors are already in the finals, and Josh had a nice piece on them. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second, as well as the Warriors, uh, excuse me, the Eastern Conference, uh, which is getting pretty tight in that final series. Uh, Bucks and Raptors tied it up at two-two. But uh, like I said, we'll get back into that in a second in the Scope Podcast. We are Real Radio War Media. We'll be back in a second. All right, we're back in the Scope Podcast. Kyle Means here. Josh Hicks is on the line with us, as always giving you that hotness to come in his column or in the scope. You just heard about him, uh, some of his opinion on the Lonzo Ball to the Bulls talk uh, that's been going around this week, and he'll get more of that from him in this week's column. But here we're going to talk about the playoffs a bit, Warriors clinching their fifth straight finals appearance. And this week, uh, uh, this uh, here we ran that one Wednesday. Uh, Josh gave us a nice piece ranking the uh, Warriors, the Warriors runs, the Warriors teams essentially, uh, and and he's made an argument that this year's team is the best of the five they've had so far, uh, and and the Steph Curry, Steve Kerr, Clay Thompson. Draymond Green, Andre Iguodala era that's uh, of course brought along KD as well to the party. So, uh, you know, just give us a little bit of your thoughts there about why do you, why do you see that this team, uh, you know, because you know, one reason I, I sort of threw this, I threw this column at you uh, and you picked it up real well and took care of it. You know, uh, the talk, given the talk that has been surrounding this team with Durant on the sidelines right now in the playoffs, a lot of people have been like, well, do they need Durant or not? Are they better with him or without him? They have, they've only lost one game with Curry playing where Durant hasn't played. You know, and there's a, been a lot of back and forth about that. It was, and it was seen that your opinion is not necessarily that they're better without Durant, uh, given that you rate this team you know this year's team as the best of the of the dynasty of the Warriors dynasty. Uh, they're not necessarily better without Durant, but there's deep. You know, and and this is funny too because I remember us talking at the beginning of the year, saying that their depth may have been an issue, you know, maybe an issue. And at times it looked like it was, but at this important, most important part of the season, they really showed out and they really. Uh, you know, showing themselves, showing themselves to be the champions that they are, and a lot of that has been, you know, giving their bench play as well as Steph, you know, showing himself to be the the all-time great player that he is. So, Josh, you know, let let us into your thinking process with the, with your column there, and uh, you know, what what make this team special, and why did you rank the teams the way that you did? I rank this team number one potentially, especially if they won the championship. Because
because of the fact that they've gone through so much behind the scenes than we probably know of. I mean, between the Kevin Durant and Draymond Green beef, constant rumors every day of Kevin Durant's free agency, up and down injuries between superstars, including Steph and DeMarcus Cousins. There's just so much stuff behind the scenes that was going on that when it comes to the playoffs, we expected them just to flip a switch and just keep going when that wasn't necessarily the case. Prime example is the first round of the playoffs when they played the Clippers. I went on air and with our Run of the War podcast that you should check out, um, which is our, our NBA podcast here on War on Anchor. And I said on there that the Clippers have no chance of winning the game against the Warriors. They took them to six games. And one of those wins included a 30-point comeback and in Golden State yeah, to help yeah, record-setting uh, comeback. So, with that happening, and then, obviously, you play the next couple series, Durant ultimately gets hurt. People outside of that really wondered if the Warriors have enough, especially with the bench being not as fully loaded as it has been within the past Dynasty uh, teams. People really thought that if the Warriors were going to take that next step, and clearly they have, because catering to last season, even it's all the way up until now, even though Kevin Durant is the best player on the team, Steph Curry and Klay Thompson are the and Klay Thompson are the ones that get this team going offensively. They're the ones that make the engine run, and tagging that along with Draymond Green being that point guard type of role, facilitating and creating um, opportunities for Steph and Klay when they're the top two options, that's when the Warriors play at their best. Because it, cause it allows Steph to be free a lot more, frees up more opportunities for Clay to, to be the shooter that he can be. And then when they uh, become so, and makes them impactful to create for others, like Iggy, um, for him to make big time shots when needed, Sean Livingston when uh, making his mid-range jump shots when needed, and quite frankly, a, su- a surprise players off the bench, like Kevin Looney, like Quinn Cook, have come up and really uh, played the role impactfully on both ends of the floor, picking up the slack that KD would have given them uh, had he been playing. So, because of what they've been going through, and for them to come out the way that they did to sweep the Portland Trailblazers the way that they did in the Western Conference Finals, and eliminate the play of CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard, which quite honestly, is a poor man's version of Stephen Clay Thompson in the backboard. It just t- shows, it just testifies to the fact that the Warriors isn't just a team of talent. It's a system. It's a culture. And it started by those main guys, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green, to help make the, make the, the dynasty that it is. And that KD, really, even though he's the best player, he was just a luxury. For certain moments and certain times of series, uh, for him to when they need him to really get over that hump. So this team is for sure the best team that the Warriors really had within this dynasty. And between the other uh, teams, for the most part, it's not even to me. It's not as close as people would think. Uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting argument, and you know I think 
there's a lot to be said that this team is playing as well as it's ever played, given the results that we've seen, especially in this past series. Like Portland is a tough Portland was a tough team. And they really just even though they fell behind in, you know, three of those games, they were never really out of any of those games. They never really felt out of those games. Like they couldn't compete. They were just sort of hanging Portland on the string the entire way. And I think that's a big part of what their confidence and their intelligence and their comfortability with each other as a team, their chemistry as it were, they're just as good as they've ever been. And with Kevin out there or or not out there. And like you said, Kevin is just, Durant is just the he's he's the the ultimate X factor that they throw out there, the trump card that they throw out there to really take down any team that that stands a chance of matching up with them. You know, be it a LeBron James led team like they faced the past couple of years in the finals or possibly potentially uh, the Eastern Conference champions, either whoever that may be, we'll talk about that in a second. Or, uh, you know, in, the, in this year's case, the Houston Rockets. I think it can't be un- over. I can't be overstated the way that they finished that series. Uh, Houston was as probably de- as desperate a team to beat them as they've seen in uh, in this run outside of maybe the the Cavs team in '16. They, you know, Houston was really ready to beat them, and they just, and by the end of that series, they just had nothing for the Warriors. And I, that was a testament to what the Warriors are right now. And, you know, it's interesting that, you know, the rank, like I said, given the rankings that you provided, you know, you, you sort of had them, have had them working up to this moment the entire time. Like, the, your fifth ranked team was the first team. Uh, the first championship team, and you know, they you know they've had they've had teams that have accomplished more than that first team since then, you know, seventy three wins and and all that, but those teams didn't necessarily take home the trophy, you know. And this team, this year's team too, is still up in the air whether they'll have the title or not. I think I wouldn't necessarily put them as the best team of the dynasty if they don't win this year. But it's sort of like what we had last year with LeBron. Like you can't take away the accomplishment of what they've done to even get to this point, you know, because it is quite an accomplishment, and it was done under a lot of duress and stress. That uh, you know, not the that the average team, the average superstars wouldn't be able to uh, to to overcome, you know. So uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much it on the Warriors, man, and. When you look at uh, who they're going to face, 2-2, the series over in the East now, they're playing game five as we speak. And you got, uh, you know, Toronto. It looks like Toronto's down early against Milwaukee. Milwaukee, uh, you know, has the advantage of playing at home tonight. You know, what's your thoughts, Josh, on that series? And uh, who do you you think right at this point is going to come out? I still believe in my prediction of having the Bucks winning seven games. Um, it's been a really hard fought back and forth type of series, which is what you want to see, especially with LeBron James not being in the playoffs and not in the Eastern Conference. Um, Kawhi's been amazing, playing hobbled on one leg and still 
putting up the big time numbers that he's been able to put up to help carry the Raptors over the hump. Um, a key for the Raptors was Kyle Lowry. He's actually been showing up in big moments throughout the games uh, for this series for the Raptors. And that's what they need in order to keep this series kind of tight um, and give them a chance to fully win. And defensively, the Raptors have done a really good job at times in really shutting down Giannis and not, make, not making him as impactful on the Bucks' offense. Um, they really forced the other component to really step up and or forcing them to really step up and make them beat them other than Giannis. So this back and forth, gritty, grindy, defensive uh, type of game really lives up to the hype. But at the end of the day, I think the Bucks are still going to win. And I think Giannis is going to find a way to get the job done. It may not be in a scoring way, but it's going to have to be in a facilitating way. Creating opportunities for guys like Malcolm Brogdon, George Hill, who's been coming off the bench and playing great for them. Um, and, and for shooters like Brooke Lopez and Nico Miritich um, to really pull through. And it's up to those guys to really make those shots when they count. Um, and it's also a big uh, opportunity for Chris Middleton to step up and to show that I, I was worth it being an all-star and I could be more than just an all-star after this season with the big contract coming up next year. So it's I think Giannis has to create, has to create uh, those opportunities for those other guys to really step up. And that's the only way that the Bucks really can defeat this Raptors team, especially since they have more shooting opportunities and more people that can actually shoot the ball at a better rate than the Toronto Raptors do. Yeah, well said, Josh. Giannis has to be more electric than he was in those games in Toronto. He has to take care of the ball when he has it and make sure that, like you said, he facilitates on some level while also keeping himself consistent, you know, as a consistent threat, at least, you know, taking the ball to the rim. You know, if he can do that, you know, he can do things like like I just I'm looking at him now. He he drives to the drives to the rim, kicks the ball out to Malcolm Brogdon, who shoots a three and, and gives them a ten point lead. They're up thirty twenty in the last minute of the first quarter. So that that's the type of stuff that he has to do more times than not down the court. And you know, Milwaukee, like you said, those uh, those uh, so those other players have to make shots. Brockton, Brockton just Brockton can be a big piece in the finish of the series. He just hit another jumper, a two-pointer. That you know, they those role guys have to contribute. And it looks like I, you know, it, I would I would bet a lot if I had a lot to bet on uh, Milwaukee winning this game five at home. You know, those role players are almost certainly going to play better in Milwaukee. But they have to step up, I think, and and try to close out the. It'll be it'll be real conventional if they win the series in seven, and you know it, it's a good bet, you know, on your part that next that you're giving that out. But I think they really need to try to close the game, the series out as soon as possible, as soon as they can do it, of course, in six games. Because uh, given the way that the Warriors play, you know, they don't want to give the Warriors any more rest than they than they already given them. Uh, of a rest advantage than they're giving them, and they want to. They want to have. I think they would rather have the confidence of closing out a series early than having that. You know, having that dramatic seventh game and having to play 
for that, you know. Even though, you know, this this is a very evenly matched series here and they're playing a team that's very much their equal, you know, Milwaukee would be would be better for they'll be doing good for themselves if they uh close out the series early and really cement themselves as the best team and not just a team that survived the East, you know, if they wanna advance and really compete against the Warriors. So uh you know, that's pretty much my thoughts on that one. Toronto, you know, if they somehow win this fifth game, you could say the same about Toronto too. But I just don't see them winning this winning this game. They they'll they'll have to go back to the north and try to work off of the energy of their people up there, including annoying ass Drake. But uh, we'll see uh, how how this series plays out. It's been, it's been fun. Uh, and you, like I said, you got you got that half right in your in your preview column, Josh. You know, talking about uh, both teams having to work hard. You know, Warriors Warriors didn't listen to you, but uh, seems that the Bucks are listening to you and uh, having to having to earn their place in the finals. So uh, yeah, go, go ahead, guy. Anything else you want to say, man? Uh, not really, man. Um, just the fact that. For the most part, like you mentioned before, it will be ideal for the Bucks to win this in six games. Because, um, like you said, the Warriors have a lot of are getting a lot of rest. They have a lot of guys that are banged up. Iggy's one of the biggie, uh, the big uh, type of players that are on that roster that's getting the proper rest that he needs. And with Kevin Durant being out now, Boogie may be coming in the finals, but may not be. Not for sure. This is a good chance for the Bucks to really, you know, seal the deal, get their rest, and really make a hard push at the, at the Warriors to win the title. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we'll see how uh, how things play out tonight, and I guess uh, game six, I guess, will be on Saturday if they're doing the day-on-day-off thing still. But uh, well, this weekend, at some point, they'll play the game six. So we'll see how that goes. The good thing is that at least there'll be some basketball over the weekend. Because the finals are kicking off on the 30th, May 30th, regardless. Uh, you know, that's just how it is. They don't never move the finals up, regardless of how early the, the conference finals end. But, uh, yeah, but it's the Warriors are chilling, man. They deserve and they deserve it. They got the time off. East is still up for grabs. And we're looking at some very competitive games going down the stretch of that. But in the meantime, make sure you read Josh's work on WeAreEagleRadio.com. He's been doing a great job as always. The Warriors, uh, let them know your opinion, man, on Twitter. Uh, you know, you can comment, of course, on on the, on the site or, uh, you know, hit them up in, in the world too on, on Twitter and all that, uh, IG. Uh, let them know how they can find you, Josh. You can find me on Twitter at jhicks042 and Instagram at thatguyjoshhicks. That guy Josh Hicks, Joshua M. Hicks. He could be Joshua A. Hicks if you approach him wrong. So don't approach him wrong, or you're gonna get that A in your ass. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. That's that's it for now though. Joshua M. Hicks, my man. Uh in the scope every Friday. We are radio.com and war war media every uh Every Friday as well in the Scope Podcast, we give it to you. The realness, the rawness, the funkiness, 
as only we can, man. We're going to keep it bouncing and we're going to holler at you next time. All right.